Hi everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the LFC Red Poets podcast. I'm your host as normal, Les Lawson, and tonight we've got a special. Tonight we're joined by Charlotte Tennessee, whose dad sadly passed away at Hillsborough 34 years ago on Saturday. And I'm also joined as normal by Tommy Keegan and Pete Warburton. So first of all, welcome to the pod, Charles, and thanks for agreeing to come on tonight. I know no, we're well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I know we're leading up to the 34th anniversary and it's not a nice week for any of us who were at Hillsborough, but especially for, for people like you and the rest of the family members who lost people. But I'd like to start and ask you, you know, at the, at the time, on the 15th of April 1989, your dad goes off to watch the semi-final at Hillsborough. You're six years of age. How did you cope at such a young age with you losing your dad? Um, well, my dad always went to the football, so that was nothing new for me. You know, it was kind of like I shared my dad with Liverpool Football Club. So it was just the norm. Um, and I don't really remember him going to the match that day. My mum tells me that I had a friend's birthday party. But honestly, I think like I probably have a memory a vague memory, but I can't be 100% sure that it was that birthday party that I was at. And um, it was mainly like the days after the disaster that I remember that I just, the phone was constantly ringing. There was people constantly coming to the house and something didn't feel right. And I, I, but I was, you know, I wasn't aware of what it was, but I knew that it was something bad. Um, And now I know that that was people coming to the house to see if there was any news about my dad yet or if he'd come back. Um, And from then on, really, um, it was all just it's all it's quite it's difficult because it is genuinely just all a bit of a blur. And it was only in 2000 and 11 after the birth of my third son that I realized I was then diagnosed with post-traumatic stress um so I never really understood why I could never remember those things um so I, th- I suppose like I just kind of drifted through life you know my mum tried to keep life as normal as possible for me I was a typical teenager but also quite um a depressed angry troubled teenager as well um never really I never really wanted to, to discuss how my dad died or what had happened to him um, but I, I do remember the year must have been in the 90s late 90s maybe um 95 96 and I remember my mum saying to me that the Jimmy McGovern drama was being um shown on the tv and she said Um, It might be a good way, you know, for you to really understand what happened to your dad, because it's going to look at families and what they went through. And um, and she said, you know, would you like to watch me and we'll watch it together? And I said, no, I'd rather go to youth club. And off I went. And I just, you know, because I suppose then, like thinking about it now, it's probably something that I didn't really want to face up to. And I didn't really want to know because I didn't really know a lot. So, um, yeah, there's it's my childhood's quite. Uh, it's quite a blurred, you know. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, I don't. I honestly don't really remember um, a lot about being a child, to be honest. Right, sure. So, how old were you then when you? Because you now, you know, you do so much for for us supporters and the families who who were at Hillsborough. You know, whenever anybody tries to to sort of slay us or anything like that, you're always there defending us. And I can't thank yeah. you enough. As somebody who was there, but how old were you when you started to to sort of get really involved or or come to mm. realise happened? And you've yeah, sort of the pennies dropped in the slot, if you like, if you want to put it that and think, you know, some yeah, really wrongdoings here. You know, my dad was unlawfully killed. You know, and I want to really fight to get the truth and and get the best for him. So, um. During my teen years, I went I went to college to study health and social care because I always wanted to be a midwife. So um, I went. It was at college um, for for my um, IT project. We had to produce. Then it was like, do you remember those slideshows with the clip art and all the funky like words? And and then it was like it was the in thing, and everybody loved it. So we had. To produce one of them on a topic so I chose Hillsborough to be my topic 
And it was when I was researching that really that I really came to realise, I, I the first thing I came across was um, the Lord Justice Taylor's report and um, it was but it was quite difficult to read it in full then as um you know the internet was very different than to what it is now um but you could pick up the 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 vibe do you know do you know what i mean and um and and so i did this big powerpoint and i'll i'll never forget it and i was so proud of it and i felt like i solely all by myself at the grand age of 17 had like disclosed this you know like the police have lied here something's and, the, and I'll never forget the the IT lecturer when I'd finished she just looked at me and went right and then just carried on like talking to the class like I hadn't even just done this presentation on how awful it is that my dad had died at Hillsborough and what the police had done and the, you know what I mean and I felt dead frustrated I thought god I was so proud of what I produced and uh, and I think you know back then that that was only would have been like 98, 99, maybe. So it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even 10 years after the disaster. So people's mindsets were still as they always had been. And then in 2002, I had my first son, Liam. And in all honesty, having him and the love that I felt for Liam, I knew that was how my dad had felt about me. And I, uh, that that sort of got the fire in my belly, if you like. And I thought there was a lot going on as well at the time um, with with regards to Hillsborough and, um, you know, the um, the I think it had been not long been the private prosecutions with David Duckenfield and all of that was coming back up in the air. And what are they going to do? Where family's going to go from here? So, um, yeah, it was it was from then really that I really started to ask my mum questions and you know, and, and that was probably when I was around about 20 was the first time that we'd had any meaningful discussion. And then in 2009, when I gave birth to my second son, I was already at that point already friends with Anne Williams. And um, she was, um, I don't want to badmouth anyone, but she was probably the only person, the only um, family member that welcomed me with open arms and was just, you know, willing to help in any way that she could. And um, so I had Joe on the 13th of April, 2009. Um, and two days later on the little Hospicon TV, I watched Andy Burnham give his speech at Anfield. And uh, I said to me mum, why is Margaret and Trevor let, let a politician go to Anfield mum? Why would they do that? And um, my mum said, if they've agreed to him being there, there'll be a bloody good reason. And she was right, wasn't she? Because then we fast forward and we have the hip report and whatever. So it was it was around about then that I became actively involved, around about 2009, 2010. Yeah, Phil Scraton is an absolute hero of mine for the, mm. you know, in, in bringing Hillsborough, you know, to the forefront and with the books he's, he's written and everything. And you know when he was appointed onto the the, the independent panel, you know it mm -hmm. gave me confidence for the first time really. To yeah. Get somewhere, and then obviously then that that report was produced, and it was just like a weight being lifted off your shoulders as as somebody mm -hmm. who had been there. You know you, you you and I still do to this day. I'll be honest with you. From time to time, you feel guilty because. Every one of us who went to Hillsborough on that particular day got up on that bright, warm, sunny Saturday to go and watch the team play in an FA Cup semi-final at Hillsborough mm -hmm. with the same goal, you know, yeah. to get to Wembley. And, you know, there's so many people being, being traumatised by that day. You know, mm -hmm. there was 97 people, as we know, lost their lives, countless others seriously injured, People since then, you know, have took their own lives because of their experiences yeah. at Hillsborough, and then, and then that that sort of panel seemed to when that report was produced, and we got, you know, the apology in the House of Commons from David Cameron. You actually thought, I write at last, you know, we might actually be getting somewhere now. Mm -hmm. But even at the back of my 
I'm thinking to me, you know, at the end of the day, the establishments are going to stick together and the whitewash brushes are going to come out again. You know, you must know more than sort of I do and Tom does and Pete does about some of the obstacles that were put in the family's way that might not have been be in the public eye. You know, can you can you share anything like that with us? Or is there any experiences that you've got where they were they were sort of slamming the door in your face, etc.? Yeah, so um well I was sued by David Crompton because of um so David Crompton sent an email in the run up to um uh the hip report being released just a, a couple of days before that David Crompton sent an internal email around South Yorkshire Police Force that said we know what their version's going to be regardless of what the report says we know the truth we know what the Hillsborough Justice campaign are trying going to try and push and um we all just need to stick together kind of thing so when the hip report came out I was just like really overwhelmed I went there with complete open eyes this was you know I was fresh eyes I was coming into it um you know with um, a mutual respect for everybody involved and I remember saying to my mum look if they find that the police didn't do as much as we thought and they're not solely to blame then we'll deal with it and if we find that you know my dad um died in the pen or died in the gym we'll deal with it like whatever whatever will be will be but for me that day it just got worse and worse because they announced that um 41 of the people could have have survived so that was just it was it, i i just don't i don't even know how to describe what it was like being in that Anglican cathedral when they announced that it was just it it was absolutely horrendous because then we were left not knowing whose loved one it was or you know which ones were already dead um and then a few days later we had to go back and that's where we had individual meetings with Dr Kirkup and he told us you know your loved one was one of the of the 41 which was really distressing for him so then we're then processing that my dad was a, not only one of the 41 that could have survived, but then we were handed all of the statements from police officers related to him. And we were suddenly left with this statement that told us that he was found alive behind the goal, which was something that we never knew before. We didn't even know that he went to he went through a turnstile. We never knew how he got into that ground. So for, to then learn days later that David Crompton had said something like that without even knowing what the outcome was going to be, it really, really cheesed me off. So I was one of, I think I was one, I think there were six of us in total. Um, and we personally called for David Crompton to be sacked, and you know, on the grounds of, um, you know, professional misconduct you can't send an email like that when you don't even know what the outcome is and then the outcome of the hip report didn't go in their favor did it and we were left with even more trauma than what we went in there with and um so he he sued us um and won because he he argued that um we were trying to get him sacked um, from his job and sort of like, I can't remember now, a lot's happened since then, but sort of trying to um, imply that we were bullying or harassing him in some way. And so as a result of that, we were sued for all of his legal fees, which was like, when we worked it out, we all needed five grand each. And at the time I wasn't even working. I was a single, single parent on, on benefits, you know, and I, I didn't have a penny to rub together. So um, Diane Lynn from the Hillsborough Survivors um, Alliance actually did a, 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 a crowdfunder and very generously, yet again, the public helped us. And it was it was that money that was raised that paid his fees. But then there was also during the, um, the recent prosecutions of David Duckenfield, his barrister, Ben Myers, tried to have me personally prosecuted for um, contempt of court. How do you pick yourself up, Charlotte, after all of these knock, knockbacks? Is it is it hard? To just yeah. One after the other, one after the other. How, yeah. 
one of my sons, Les knows, and Peter, one of my son's friend, best friends is Graham Hammond. And I've, I've known Graham since he was a little boy. And yeah. All the way through, all the way through, I when I'm listening to your story, I, I was I was thinking of Graham, you know, talk, as you're talking, the same sort of thing. I, I, was, mm. I, I, I haven't got, the, I've never had the guts to sort of ask to Graham because mm. I wouldn't setting for the world but how do you pick yourself up day after day after every knockback so I think for me um my focus now is the survivors and you know these are the people who told the truth right from the minute they left that ground and if they hadn't of and if other family members hadn't of fought the way that they did I would never, ever have known what happened to my dad. He literally would have gone to the grave on a complete lie and we would never have known what happened to him. So for that, I'll always be eternally grateful. So I think that I definitely feel like I connect to survivors more than I do um, family members, In only in the sense that Survivors seem to understand my mental trauma and my, you know, when I'm having a bad day with PTSD and I'm stuck in that loop where you can't think of anything else, um, they get it. Whereas I've never really had the, I suppose I've never really had the guts to speak to family members like that. Um, I don't feel like it's my place to and everybody's... um, everybody's situation is so unique and we all kind of have that mutual respect for each other. So I just sort of focus on all the good that everybody else did. And you just, you know, survivors just don't deserve the way that they are treated now. And I just can't stand it. I can't stand it that they're still, you know, blamed even now or or that, you know, what we were talking about earlier, the, the hate chants and, and you just think, God, you know, th- these people did nothing but good. They did nothing but good on the day. They, Without question, they knew how traumatic it was going to be to come and give evidence at the inquest. Not one of them hesitated. They showed up, they spoke their truth, and then they continued to support us thereafter. Never, never, you know, grumbled about their own mental health problems or concerns about what this was going to do to them they knew that they had to speak up for the dead and they did it no questions asked and you know and you just think how many more times can we all just stand silent and not say anything I'm not prepared to be one of those people that just ignores that survivors are forgotten or that they're slandered in the way that they are because actually the truth of Hillsborough wouldn't have been as strong as what it was without survivors family members can't take all the credit it's probably a 50 50 isn't it yeah i mean i just think that you know with the um with with this us like i mean i i was at hillsborough but i was in the stand above the leppins lane so i don't although i was there and i'm traumatized to this day there's different reasons why different people are traumatised about Hillsborough. Part of my 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 issue is that I felt I couldn't help anyone because when it went down to the front of the stand, there was too many people there, so I couldn't pull anybody else up. And the second thing is for me is that the year before, we we the semi final, as you probably know, had already also been. Mm-hmm. We'd also had tickets for the stand the year before, even though we were all cop season ticket holders. Me and all my mates went in the stand above. But some of the other lads who we went with on the cop, they wanted to go in the on the terrace and behind mm-hmm. the goal. And at that Notts Forest game where we beat them 5-0 at Anfield on the Wednesday after the first semi-final, they mm. were saying we were saying to them, you know, it must have been great in that behind the goal, because it looked superb. And he said, It was a nightmare, they don't ever want to go mm. there again. Right, so the, the following year, I'm sort of going again. We've got tickets for Leppins Lane again. And the year before, I got them swapped at the Development Association because I used to sell lottery tickets. And, and then this time, I went in again on the Thursday. And um, when I went in to swap my tickets, Kenny Addison said to me, sorry, Les, 
we've got we've got no stand tickets left. And only the fact that I was with me my girlfriend then Michelle, who I, I was who got married to two year a year later, that um she sort of said to me, Oh, the players are leaving for for, for Hillsborough today. Should we go round to see if we can see them getting on the coach? So we goes round, stands in the car park, and as I was stood there waiting for the players to get on the coach. And I was particularly interested because Alan Hansen had been out injured. Mm-hmm. And wanted to see if he was going with them. And You're he right. the boost. And while mm-hmm. I was there waiting, I noticed there was people coming out of the ticket office with tickets. So I, I sort of said said to her, just wait there a minute. I'm going to go in and see if, can, if they've got any stand tickets left and if they'll swap the tickets. So mm-hmm. I goes into the ticket office. And there's a guy behind the counter. I always remember, I could still, I could pick him out from my lineup now. That's how good my memory is back to then. And mm. I said to him, "Any chance you could swap the? I've got, I've got seven ground tickets. Could I swap them for seven stand tickets?" Yeah. He said, "You'll pay the difference, you know." I said, "Oh, I know that." I said, <laughs> you've got any, "If you've got any, you know, I'd like to swap them." He said, "Yep, yeah, we have." He said, "Give us your ground tickets." I've given the seven ground tickets. He gave us the seven stand tickets. I swapped the tickets was made up, given the difference of the money, went out and said, we've got the stand tickets, made up. But to this day, that guilt lays with me now because yeah. I don't know if anybody got them seven tickets. I'll never, ever know. But that sort of sticks with me. And that's, oh. where, that's where part of my guilt comes from. And as I say, I, you know, I know Peter Carney very well. I know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cab very well, Damien Cavana. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard all their stories about, you know, what went on in the Lep- in the Leppins Lane and, and I mm. and then on the I think it was on the the twentieth anniversary, Gary Flintoff took me back to do a little big piece of radio Merseyside. Right. And he took me down that tunnel. Mm. The tunnel was empty. Right. I was the only one walking down there. And it was so airy. Yeah. Now, you know, and I think the people all these people who mock Hillsborough they just have not got a clue. No, they what, don't. What it was like, and you know, mm-hmm. the, the the people who were there suffer, and people like yourself suffer. And and as I say, every time you thought you were getting somewhere, now the truth has come out now, as we were discussing with the independent report. But you know, then you wanted, or I wanted, then I wanted somebody to pay for what. Yeah. Know, all the other families had suffered. Sure. You know, people who'd survived the Leppins Lane and people like myself, I wanted somebody to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And yet, at every turn, it just seemed that somebody somewhere would sort of think, nah, nobody's going to get punished for yeah. this. I think there was only Sheffield Wednesday's sort of safety officer who, who sort of copped a bit yeah. of fun. So how, you know, once we move on, you know, we go through the second lot of inquest. Mm. You know, I remember breaking down in tears when I heard the, you know, it was 12 nil to us basically with the verdicts of that yeah. brilliant jury. And then I think it know, was 14 nil, wasn't it? 14, 14 questions. Yeah. 14 nil, sorry. And then, no, it's okay. You actually, you actually move on and you think, right, now we've got the unlawful killing verdict. Now, mm-hmm. sure, somebody is going to pay. And, some people who are sort of missed out when 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 sort of fingers are pointed by by us. Yeah, oh yeah. They, you know what I mean? How they dragged their feet, and there were some people who didn't sort of even get charged. They were thought should have been charged because yeah. they were forefront of the court. Yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got my own opinions and I don't expect everybody to agree with them. But um, honestly, I don't feel that... I don't feel it was right that David Duckenfield was put on trial solely for being responsible for the Hillsborough disaster. I think there were so many other people that should have been there with him because at the end of the day, it was his first match as commander at that ground and I feel like he should have had his senior or another senior with him, making sure that all the things that were in order should have been in order. 
was it like that then in 1989? I don't know. And am I just being naive? Possibly. But I do feel that there should have been other people on 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 trial with with Duck and Field, and um, Superintendent Greenwood should have been one of them. That's for sure. Um, and you know, and then we need to look at like you know Norman Betterson. For someone that didn't know a lot about what what went on on the day, he knew he had enough information to write a book. So you know what I mean, like what? So why are we overlooking that? He's told you, as, as, it, as the Operation Resolve, as a police investigation into the Hillsborough disaster, he's told you he didn't know anything. He sat at the inquest and said that he was just the sandwich runner and he just used to go and get sandwiches from Marks and Spencers. He actually sat in the inquests of those that were dead and said that that was his evidence. And then he releases a book. And it's just like, well, for somebody that doesn't know anything, you know a hell of a lot. Do you know what I mean? And I think they've missed a trick with things like that there. But even like you, you were saying then about the 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 IPC, IPCC, and it's the IOPC now, isn't it? Yeah. And um, they've changed the name again. So they're in the process now of releasing another report. And all they keep on saying to us is, we've got to go through a salmon process. So a salmon process is where we write to those who we think have done wrong or are going to be criticised in our final report. And that then gives them the opportunity to seek legal advice and respond. So this salmon process, it's already, it, the salmon process has started now. So they're, and they're focusing on police officers. So I assume that we're only focusing on South Yorkshire police officers. So they're now writing to South Yorkshire police officers to let them know that they're being criticised in their report. Well, if we're criticising them because they did wrong on the day of the Hillsborough disaster, why the hell did they not charge them two, three, four years ago? Why are we just criticising them in a report? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like a bit of a lengthy process to me to be writing. So if they've, they've said that once they receive this letter, they've got so many days to respond and then we've got, and it's just like, so the, they've predicted that, the report couldn't may not be released for another year. Well, how many police officers are you criticising then? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't that it doesn't sit right with me that that we can write a report and it, and that and that's all that it ever is, isn't it? Just give them another report, give them another report. Well, that's not worth anything anymore. I don't think. No, as I say, it's one of them where oh, you know, we've done this, we've we've done this report, we've done that. We've done that, and it's like when they charge so many people. Well, we have, we have, we have, you know, processed so many of these police officers or people who are associated with with Hillsbury. We feel as a fault. You know, we have, we have put some of them for trial, but there could have been about three times as many that were charged. Yeah. At least, I mean, I asked you a question, maybe, and I don't know whether you remember a while back, is that how many police officers were it, officers were on duty at Hillsbury that particular day? Yeah. And the reason I asked. The reason I asked you that question was because I sit here sometimes when when I get me flashbacks at, at Hillsborough, and I think you know there was there was some good policemen there who did mm. try to help, and there was some when you've watched some of the documentaries about Hillsborough, who've actually come forward and you know told the truth about them being told to change you know the, yeah. state, the books etc et and told what what's happened, but. You know, it was a very, very small percentage of the police who were on duty that particular day. Yeah. And I, was and I might be I might be totally naive in this in this thought. But from my point of view, every one of those policemen who didn't come forward and tell the truth that they were told to change their statements in their pocketbooks or stood back and didn't come forward and tell the truth. Or they, they should have been charged with perverting the course of A hundred percent. I totally agree with you. I really do. I totally agree with you. And one of my biggest angers about that is in so the inquest began in 2014. And then we had all the pen portraits. Then we looked at some brief information about the ground, the history of the ground, and then we went into the individual inquests. Just before my dad's individual inquest. My legal team came to me and said, Charlotte, Operation, Operation Resolve, have dropped these statements on it on us. We think that you might want to take a look at them. And I was just like, yeah, OK, fine, I'll take them home. And they were like, no, Charlotte, 
we think that we should look at them together. We've already seen them. We think that you should look at them with us. And I was just like, right, okay. So I did. And in these new statements that were taken in 2014, solely for the individual in question, my dad, two police officers said that they were handed over my dad's body in the gym. They put him in a body bag. I'm not going to go into detail, by the way, because it is quite graphic and it is quite distressing. But they put him in a body bag. And then when they went back to check him later, they found that, you know, may, there were signs that maybe he wasn't dead. They didn't tell anyone. They didn't do anything about it. They just popped him back in and off they went about their day. Now, they never disclosed that to anyone until Operation Resolve went to see them in 2014. So I was just like, right, OK, well, what the hell? So they knew that there was a possibility that my dad was alive at that point and they've kept it to themselves Bearing in mind, I'd just done public appeals to try and find a St. John Ambulance person that may have helped my dad. And this public appeal had been everywhere, every newspaper, every news bulletin at six o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock in the morning. It was everywhere. So not only had they kept it for themselves, but they'd actively watched me search for people that may have answers about my dad and still didn't say anything. So I said to the I said to my legal team, well, I'm going to have to make you a list of questions because I can't get my head around that. They're effectively saying that my dad wasn't dead and I'm not having that. Why didn't they go and tell someone? Why didn't they get him medical help? Or why didn't they even just put him in the recovery position? So my legal team go back and they speak to their legal team and they say, we want to call these two men as witnesses. And I was met with one of them can't give evidence because he's too old now. And the other one can't give evidence because they're too mentally unwell. And I was just like, hold on a minute. What about my mental health? I've just been told yet another bombshell of information about my dad that nobody has come forward and said in 24 years. So now I want him to give evidence at my dad's inquest. He was one of the very last people to see him and touch him and he is giving evidence. So basically he then had to go through a medical assessment and um, a psychiatrist on behalf of Operation Resolve or South Yorkshire Police, whoever it was that he was appointed by, um, concluded that no, he wasn't mentally well enough. But I had to sit through those inquests every day for two days, for two years but he was too mentally unwell to come and give some vital evidence, you know, something so as important as that. And he was allowed to not give evidence. And I, that from that point then, I just thought, you know what, we are never, we, we might get answers, but we're never going to get, that. we're never going to get prosecutions out of this. And I just knew then. Thanks for that, Charles. After disgrace that, Pete wants to ask you a question. Well, it was a while back, but I was just going to say, Charlie, that successive governments and stuff, I was quite, I was quite pleased in a way. That Jack Straw was gonna, we, we were gonna get some results via Jack Straw. Mm. And at the end of the day, I think it was Lord Justice, was it Stuart Smith? Smith, yeah. And again, they turned around and said, "There's no, there's no evidence." And the evidence is still coming to light, like you say about, you know, that person with your dad. Yeah. And all of us who were there can give recant stories still to this day. Yes. I, I can see faces people I don't know personally but I can I can describe people I was standing next to yeah me went to the Leppins Lane and I, I go cold when I talk about it but we mm. went in early because we tried to get a good spec and we walked down that tunnel and I'd been there previously um against Arsenal in the semi-final and it, it's a horrible it was a horrible horrible um terrace so I mm. and I bought a program and I don't normally buy programs and I said to my wife, we better move from here. I said, because when all the lads come in late on, they're gonna be sitting and standing on the bars so they can mm. see. And I still go cold when, when people ask me when they when they say, Did you go? And we, we had the foresight to move and we walked back out of that tunnel. And only through us asking a steward, we didn't know where we were going, and he told us to go up a staircase, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I really thought with Jack Straw, I thought we were, you know, I thought you were going to get some real make headway in that. And it was yeah, so when, when yeah, it came to my again. yeah, and yeah. Kickbacks over the years, and yeah, I don't know. I just don't know how 
how you and all, I mean, people say, oh, you survived Hillsborough. And I said, well, I wasn't, I wasn't physically injured, but I could, as I say, I can still see faces now. I can still remember conversations that I had with people in yeah. the ground, because there was a nurse by us. And she said, I'm going down to help. Wow. You'll see them. So in that score, yeah, I suppose you can class us as survivors, but yeah. physically injured. And there's so many of us, there's so many people who, who after that fateful day, you know, that it changed their lives forever. I, I had a friend, well, it was a friend of, of um, a friend of a friend, if you want, but I knew him well, and, and he passed to Hillsborough. And it, it's just a horrible, horrible mm. thing, you know. And like like Les and Tom were saying, you know, we, we still go to the matches regularly now. And some of the some of the, the things we get aimed at us. And, mm. and I do think some of these idiots that come out with these chants and that, they don't know, even know what they're talking about, but they don't yeah. realize the basic calls. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went to City a couple of weeks ago and I was pretty close to the um you know to the police cordon the segregation and some of the things that have you know shouted at you and and it's horrible to this day and you, you just you just wonder you know how people think that they call it banter it's not banter yeah. people's lives and yeah and did you have any siblings charlotte did you have a brother or sister to no i you? didn't no, no. So I was an only child, and um, I mean, I never, I never ever knew really. But when uh, my mum and dad were together, like late seventies, and then um, she got pregnant with me, and um, my dad's mum, she she was very Catholic. God bless her. She died just as she died in the March, just as we we were going into the COVID pandemic. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, she was very Catholic and when when my dad said that my mum was pregnant she made them get married and uh, my mum was only I think she was only about three well probably wasn't even three months pregnant and uh, my nan was just like it's not it's not non-negotiable you, you're marrying her anyway they were divorced by 1985 <laughs> um, which also wasn't a thing then and my nan wasn't best pleased about that either being the Catholic lady that she was but um, I never ever, you know, I never knew that uh, because it was just, it, I just always remembered my dad being there. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, I, it just wasn't something that I ever, like I ever needed to know. But it's just, you know, it's little things like that. Like going back to what you were saying there about, um, you know, that you don't, because you didn't have physical injuries, like, you know, you you, you don't feel like you, you're a survivor, but you are a, su a survivor, Pete, because every day you survive and battle with that mental trauma and I know firsthand how I wasn't there at Hillsborough but I I I, I am sort of like I am a victim of Hillsborough and I am a, I am a victim of South Yorkshire police failings and the mental torture and health problems that it's left me with because those things were never answered and solved is totally different to what you guys go through and and that I think that's what I I try and focus on a lot a lot more is that we do know a lot more about how things impact on mental health now and um and I don't think that um there is enough help out there I don't think there's enough credit given for mental trauma either um, you know, it can just be one tiny thing that can trigger any one of us. What's something that triggers me might be completely different that triggers you and it's completely different again that triggers Les, you know. Um, but I, I would, you are a survivor because, you know, you've carried on and you've battled through that that mental trauma side of it. And it's that that makes me focus on like these hate chants and speak out about them because I just think, it's probably not when these fans are chanting, you know, always the victims and the son was right, you murderers. I don't think it's that deep for them. They don't know that you're sitting there and you're a Hillsborough survivor. They don't know that I'm at that match with my little boy. They, they, they're not even thinking about that. They're just saying it to be nothing but hateful. And that's my point. It's not that deep for them. It is just sheer, horrid hate hatefulness to get a reaction and they say those things to hurt and they know that it does hurt us they're not saying it because they believe it's true they're saying it to be downright 
nasty yeah. and um and you know and then and then I, th- I can't remember what um was it I think it was I can't remember now there's been a few times when it's been chanted anyway and I've written emailed you know various clubs and I've got a paper trail and I can back it all up so when I noticed that it was getting worse, I mean, it got significantly worse after Duckenfield was found not guilty. You can see like a trend, you know, in the the, the chants were really bad after that. So I started emailing clubs and I, I'd say to them, you know, I'm the daughter of Jimmy Hennessy and, uh, and, and, you know, your fans were chanting this and this is the impact that it has on me and now my child because we're at the game and he's been subjected to that too, but he wasn't even born then. Mm. And at first, explain, yeah. yeah. So then, you know, well. like at first you could get away with it, but now he's nearly 12. And mm. like the kids, you, you guys will know exactly what I mean when I say the child lives and breathes football he loves it there's nothing he plays in goal there's nothing else that he wants to do you know it, it doesn't matter who's playing he's interested in that game and you know all that he's got a fantasy football league and he does all the stickers and he has a little poster on the wall and puts all the scores on and he just loves it so but there's there's times when you know like just for example um playing man city he's he's an 11 year old nearly 12 year old little boy Harland, Jack Grealish, to him, they're just like heroes. And there's he would love nothing more than to go to Anfield to watch some someone like Liverpool v Man City. I won't take him. There's no way I am putting myself in that position and having the chance on the outside, the chance on the inside, and then that being triggering for me and him like it because it's quite hostile, isn't it? Well, we took him to um we took him to the Champions League match last season um, against Napoli. Never experienced anything like it in my life. What a horrible, horrible set of fans they are. And that, that was at Anfield. And I was really, I was really taken aback by it. And I just thought, no, I can't. I, so if that's how I feel and I wasn't at Hillsborough, how can survivors, how must they be feeling when, it you know, it's being chanted at them? So- doesn't it? Just it? Makes you, feel angry. you just feel like you just feel like going up to them and just saying, "Look, why you why are you sing why are you doing these things?" Yeah, you know. And the other thing as well that annoys me that you'll be watching the football on the telly, and the commentators will have to say, "Oh, we apologise for any bad language." Someone might in the crowd, F and Jeff, and it comes across. Yeah, but then. A minute later, they're all singing "Always the Victims" and and yeah. stuff like that. You should, you know, Carragher has got a, a, an ideal opportunity when he's co-commentating with the other fella, whose name I won't mention because he winds me up. Just to say, this has got to stop it. And yeah, you know, they're, they're on national, international telly. Start mm-hmm. making a thing of it. But yeah, they'll, they'll and apologise to someone losing his rag at the match in Effin and Jeff. And yeah, but, you know. The only thing, the ones I can take my hat off to who come to Anfield, and I've said it for a few years now, the best fans who come to Anfield and never hear them singing anything like that, and they support the team at Crystal Palace. And, mm. and I might, I might, someone might put me right on that, but I haven't heard Crystal Palace ever doing anything like that. And Arsenal were brilliant on on Sunday. Yeah, that 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 yeah, their their minute silence. Um, yeah, and well, also, it was, well, never once yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. Oh, no, Sunday it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah, we watched, we watched that at home. And uh, honestly, I was like, I was really, it's the first time in a very long time that um, a memorial service has is, is actually like, has is, is moved me because, you know, last year there was a minute silence, wasn't then, and we, we played Man City that year. And as soon as you see it, you know, when all the matches come out, I always look yeah, who have we got right. around about the 15th. And it's just that dread. And I just think, you know, clubs need to start being accountable for that. If <laughs> nobody's been held more accountable for their fans than our club. So why does that rule not apply to all of the others? And i tell you what else I'm sick of as well. This whole notion that um, fans say, 
always the victims is about Heisel. What an absolute nonsense that is. How can a song, Always the Victims, be about Heisel when Liverpool fans never claim to be and have never excused themselves to be the victims of Heisel? It makes no sense whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? Like, where's the... Where's who who come up with that one? We've never said that we were the victims of Heisel. We've been tarred with the actions of those people for for a long, long time. What thirty eight years this year? Nobody's more ashamed and appalled than we are. So it just that drives me mad. Oh, it's about Heisel. Well, well, well how? You tell me then how. Is that chant about Heisel? Because Liverpool fans were never the victims. So why are you chanting at us? Always the victims about Heisel? What doesn't even make sense? Yeah, it's reflective of society, though, isn't it, at the moment? I think it's more a social media thing. It got worse over the last few years, I would definitely say. But I think it's up to the I think it's up to the FA and or the Premier League to be the punishers of it. You, yeah. you deduct points. You deduct points. Or, or that you find clubs and make them individually responsible, and that will end. And I agree with what Peter said about Crystal Palace and, and, and um, Arsenal. I can't remember too many other teams, to be brutally honest. On my own Hillsborough thing, I was sat in the north, stand right down by the Nottingham Forest ends, you know, by where the ambulance was, down the bottom end. Yeah. But like Les, I could never... I could never go back to Sheffield. Never been back to Sheffield. Never ever, mm. ever come back to Sheffield and find it difficult mm. even to travel that way. But it's just yeah. I think until we until the the clubs are punished, I think we're, I think we'll that will will be an ongoing thing. But I do believe yeah. there is a movement now, though. I, I do believe that clubs now are getting it now. And seeing and not apologising yeah. right away. So I think it's only a matter of time before I think that 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 will be ended. The other question I would like I was going to ask Charlotte is where is the Hillsborough Lord up to now? So Hillsborough Law has been endorsed by Keir Starmer, whatever anybody's views. Maybe on him, he has said that if he's made if he becomes prime minister and the Labour Party win in the next general election, one of the first things that he will do is um, is pass you know the Hillsborough law. But where we're at is um, Maria Eagle has taken um, because the, the 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 formal name for it is the Public Accountability Bill, but we just you know it's AKA the Hillsborough law. And Maria Eagle has taken it to put into the House of Commons and she's been shut down 12 times. They've refused to hear it. So um, I think that she she actually does have, she's booked in to, to take it to Parliament again. I know that Ian Byrne has also tried um, and he's met with the same response. Like they just don't even, they just object to it straight away. She doesn't even get a chance to like speak about it or explain what exactly it is. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So when so Maria Eagle stands up in the House of Commons, um, obviously you have to book your slot. Um, so she books the slot. She arrives. She um, attempts to. Um, she asks for permission to speak about the public accountability bill, and then the two little people that sit on the bench next to the, what's he called, the spokesperson, um, yeah. they instantly stand up. They say object. He objects, and she's sent on away, and that's it. That's literally it. She doesn't get a chance to say anything. You just get the impression that even if they try to put the point over. And, and have a discussion, they just filibuster it anyway. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. Uh, that's what I mean, it just amazes me. And I just hope this, this Hillsborough law does come through. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing that I can't understand. Like, so the, the, the public accountability doesn't just focus on, um, you know, in case there's another Hillsborough disaster. This is bringing people who work um, within public authority, public sectors, you know, doctors, nurses. We see it all the time that there's been misconduct, whether it's a nurse that's looking after young children or, um, you know, or 
carers that are working with the elderly this this would it would cover them as well to give them a duty of candor that should something happen whilst they're within their professional role they have a duty of candor to tell the truth but not only that it will ensure that you know f families for whatever reason if you lose a loved one um and and that is you know within um a capacity that requires an inquest or an inquiry it will make sure that th those families get funding um uh, you know sort of like on an equal par because at the inquests duck and field and south yorkshire police and and then the police officers i can't remember exactly now i know there was denton fest denton foster metcalf there was a few others they all had I think even Norman Betterson had his own legal team. They all sort of like broke off and fell out and did, the one didn't want to be associated with the other. So they all had their own legal teams. And these, the, it cost millions. And if Theresa May hadn't ensured that we family members were given funding, I don't know what we would have done. I, 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 I don't know. I, well, I don't know what we would have done. I don't think there, there would have been inquests. So then how many other people are in the same position where they've lost a loved one, or they can't get legal aid? You know, it's a, it's a bit like um, Nicole and Kai. They lost their little boy, Zane, and um, it was down to poisoning that had come from, like, a landfill that was, it was you know, really quite far underground by their home. And the chemicals and toxins from that has come through and leaked into their home and they've inhaled it. Zane's died. N Nicole, his mum, nearly died. And his dad is now completely paralysed. But they won't give that little boy a proper inquiry. And you just think, God, you know, well, why not? Because it doesn't suit the, their agenda. And, and that, that's mainly, the, primarily the focus of the public accountability bill. I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. You know, it's been very insightful, very emotional. You know, and it must have been difficult for you to, you know, keep relaying those stories. So we thank you from the bottom of our heart for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, so, Charlotte. Thank you. Yeah, so that's the end of the latest edition of the LFC Red Poets podcast. Um, we hope you enjoyed this podcast, even though it might be a difficult listen for people. Just remember there are people out there for you if you need to speak to anybody. Justice for the 97. Don't buy the sun and you'll never walk alone. And I hope you join us next time. Thank you again.